Hey, my friends, welcome to the FBC Moberly Sermon Podcast. This podcast, um, this sermon looks at the events that occurred about halfway through Acts chapter 6 and all the way through the end of Acts chapter 7. Really, it covers the sermon that Stephen preached that really led to the first Christian martyr uh, when Stephen was, was, was stoned to death. Uh, what you're going to see is that Stephen was accused of two things. He was accused of blasphemy against the temple and blasphemy against the law of Moses. And so we ought to expect that when Stephen stands to preach his sermon, he's going to respond to those two accusations. So uh, grab your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 6, and follow along as uh, you listen to this sermon entitled, The Rejection of an Uncontainable God. All right, my friends, if you have your Bibles, let me invite you to open them to Acts chapter 6. And if you happen to follow along in the bulletin, you can put your bulletin away uh, because the sermon outline in the bulletin will not match the actual sermon outline. So you can write in, uh, maybe you can write in under those points, but it won't follow that same track. We're still in Acts chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 6. How many of you are Elvis fans? Any Elvis fans in the room? Got a few, got a few. In 1956, on the fairgrounds of the Louisiana State Fair in Shreveport, Louisiana, Elvis Presley was scheduled to sing right in the middle of the, of the events that night. The king of rock and roll, they put him in the middle. Why would they do that? After the concert was over, the crowd was just uh, crazy. They were just erratic. They wanted more of Elvis and more of Elvis and more of Elvis. So bad that the, that the uh, next performer couldn't play. And so then a man by the name of Horace Logan stepped up to the microphone and he said this phrase. He said, all right, all right, Elvis has left the building. And with that, that phrase was born. And it's still used today. Today, it it basically means there's nothing left here to see. Elvis has left the building. Prom is over, Greg Taylor. Elvis has left the building. The game is over. Elvis has left the building. Last week, we introduced seven men who were tasked to solve a very difficult problem, a big problem in the church. And one of them was a man by the name of Stephen. Acts chapter 6 verse 5 tells us that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And today, we're going to see that Stephen was also a very wise man, also a very bold man. Stephen was arrested And he was brought before that old Sanhedrin again. And when he was brought before them, they accused him of blasphemy. And Stephen stood and preached a sermon. Quite a sermon at that. And his point was this. God has left the building. That was his point. That God is not in the temple. God's not there. And yet the the people of the day were so convinced that he was. Before we get there, before we dive into Stephen's sermon, let's set the context of of his sermon so that you can see it really in full color. color. Look in your Bibles. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 8. Here's what the Bible says. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. 
Opposition arose. Oh boy, as it always does, right? Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. Verse 10, they were unable to stand up against Stephen's wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. So far, so good, right? Stephen's debating with people, and Stephen won the debate. Well done, Stephen. You've overcome. But remember, we say often here that Satan is relentless, that he never quits, and he's a sore loser. And so look in your Bibles, verse 11. Look at what happens next. The Bible says, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Do you see that in your Bible? They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and so they came and seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like that of an angel. Chapter 7, verse 1. Are these things true? The high priest said. Do you see the scene yet? Do you see the charges that they've brought against Stephen? There's, there's two of them. They stirred up the people, they arrested Stephen, and they brought him back to that most supreme court in all the land, the Sanhedrin. And they presented two charges against him. They're found in verse 13 and verse 14. Look in your Bibles. Do you see him? Verse 13, this man never stops speaking against this holy place and the law. For we heard him say that, the Jesus of, that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. So what were the charges? Well, well the charges were this. Stephen is speaking blasphemy against the temple and blasphemy against the law. Now, it's important that we understand that in the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the activity of God happened. It was, it was God's dwelling place. And Stephen shows up speaking against the temple, saying that Jesus will destroy the temple. In fact, Jesus himself said that. I'll destroy this temple in three days, he said, and rebuild it in three days. In effect, what Stephen was saying was this. God has left the building. And so he was charged with speaking blasphemy against the temple. Secondly, they charged him with speaking blasphemy against the law, the very law that Moses handed down to them. So keeping the law was how they, how they worshipped. Right? That, that's how, that was part of their worship experience. Keeping the law was the pathway to God, and yet the law could never be kept. Not perfectly, because we just aren't that good as people. And so God instituted a sacrificial system. That's why when you read through the Old Testament, you read about sacrifices. When this sin occurs, blood had to be shed. Death occurs. When sin happens, death occurs. Sacrifice this animal. Sacrifice this bird. Sacrifice this goat. Because when sin occurs, death occurs. Do you see the pattern? When sin occurs, say it with me, death occurs. Sin always equals death. And in the temple, that's where the sacrifices happened. But that was before the cross. 
And Stephen shows up after the cross. And Jesus changed everything. And Stephen was telling the world about this Jesus and who he was and what he had done. He was telling the world that Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. That Jesus fulfilled the law. And now, because of Jesus, God isn't in a temple, but God, because of Jesus, is now with us. God has left the building. He's not here, is what Stephen was saying. And now he's on trial for those two charges. So let's dive into Stephen's sermon. If you're ready to dive in, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. Remember the first charge against Stephen was that Stephen was speaking against the temple, right? Speaking against this holy place. And by the way, this holy place would be all-encompassing, uh, be Israel. And he's speaking against the temple, saying that Jesus would destroy the temple. And so here's what Stephen shows them. Are you ready for it? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Here's what he shows them. God's presence has never been limited to a specific place. It's never been that way. Even long before the days of Jesus, Stephen walks them through their own history, and, and he uses men like Abraham to show them that God was never bound to the temple. In fact, look, look at what you look in your Bibles. Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. Speaking of the story of Abraham, Stephen says, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he settled in Haran. And he said to him, Leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God moved him to the land in which you are now living. Do you see it? Stephen says, The God of glory... The God who appeared to Abraham hundreds of years ago, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, he appeared to him hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Way over there in Mesopotamia. God didn't need a temple to work in Abraham's life. God did that work outside of the geopolitical lines known as Israel. Stephen shows them that, that God was with Abraham way over there. And he was also with Joseph way down there in Egypt. Look in your Bibles, verse 9 and 10. The Bible says this, The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Where is Joseph? Egypt. Look in your Bibles, verse 9. Sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. And he rescued him out of all of his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. God worked in Abraham's life way over there in Mesopotamia, and God worked in Joseph's life way down there in the pagan nation of Egypt. And thirdly, God worked in Moses' life way over there at Mount Sinai. Skip down in your Bibles, verse 29. It says, when he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Verse 30, after 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. That's not in Israel, by the way. And yet God was there. 
appearing to him in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses, the Bible says, began to tremble and did not dare look. And the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, because this place where you are standing is holy ground. Was that in the temple? Was that in Israel? Was it holy ground? Why? Why was it holy? Because God was there. God has never been bound to a temple. He showed them this with Abraham, with Joseph, and with Moses, and now He shows them that even the temple itself was never designed to limit God. Verse 44. Skip down to verse 44. Here's what the Bible says. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the testimony in the wilderness, just as He who spoke to Moses commanded Him to make it according to the pattern He had seen. Our ancestors, in turn, received it. And with Joshua brought it in when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before them until the days of David. He found favor in God's sight and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. Verse 47, It was Solomon, rather, who built him a house. But the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. Do you see that? Verse 49, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me? <laughs> says the Lord. Or, or what will be my resting place? Did my hand, did not my hand make all of these things? In other words, you're going to make God the, the God of glory, the God who made all things, you're going to make him a house? Can you see the repeated theme here that Stephen declares over and over and over again in this sermon? God is not restricted to the temple. God is not bound by the border, the imaginary border of Israel. And I say imaginary because all borders are just imaginary. He's not bound by the imaginary border, the man-made border of Israel, and he never has been. And the Jewish audience that Stephen was was, was preaching to, acted as though God could not operate outside of the little box they had put in him in. And what Stephen says is, you know the saying, you can't put God in a box. Stephen says, you can't put God in the universe. You cannot contain God. You can't limit him. And that's the point for us today. God is uncontainable. He cannot be limited. We don't get to tell God who he is. And we don't get to tell God where he can go and what he can do. As Linda says, there is a God, and you're not him. There is a God, and those in the room, that day when Stephen was preaching, they weren't him. So if you want to worship God, listen closely, if you want to worship God, you don't need to find the temple. If you want to worship God, you need to find Jesus. That's the thrust. If you want to worship God, you need to find Jesus. Because God's presence has never been limited to a specific place. God had left the building. Secondly, Stephen shows them that God's chosen have always, 
always been rejected by the people. The second charge against Stephen was blasphemy against the law, right? Blasphemy against the law of Moses. So Stephen devotes really the biggest section of his sermon to Moses. He divides it into three 40-year periods. And he begins to tell them how the Israelites in Moses' day rejected Moses. The one whom they revere, they actually rejected. Not once, not twice, but over and over and over again. And they had a history of that. Israel did. Rejecting God's chosen man. They killed prophets. And they rejected Moses. Look at verse 23. Speaking of Moses, Stephen says this, When he was 40 years old, Moses decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. Verse 26, the next day, Moses shows up while they were fighting, and he tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why are you mistreating each other? But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside saying, who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Do you see it? Rejection. They rejected Moses. Moses rescues a man, literally saves him from certain death in verse 27. And the very next day, he sees them fighting. And they, he says, stop it, you're brothers. And they reject him, pushing him aside, and effectively said, who died and made you king? And Moses could have said, well, God's the one who made me king. But he didn't. Maybe not king, but certainly God's chosen man. Moses was God's chosen man for the job, and he was rejected the first time. Look at the second time. Verse 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. He is the one who is in the assembly in the wilderness from the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai with our ancestors. He received the living oracles to give to us. Verse 39, look in your Bibles. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and their hearts turned back to Egypt. Rejection. Again, God's chosen man rejected by Israel. Not only did they reject Moses, they rejected the law, the very law that God gave them. And by doing so, they rejected God. Look at verse 40. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idol, and were celebrating what their hands had made. Verse 42, a very scary verse. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars in heaven. 
as it is written in the book of, uh, of the prophets, Amos to be exact, House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphon, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. They rejected Moses and rejected Moses and rejected Moses, and by doing so, they rejected God. And if you put the entire sermon together, what you see is that God had called Abraham from way over there in Mesopotamia to come way over here in Israel with the purpose of worship. And in Moses' day, they weren't worshiping God, though God had set them free. They were instead worshiping images made by hands. Golden calves. And the implication that Stephen is making is this. The temple had become a sacred cow. They had made the temple an object of worship. The temple was their sacred cow. They weren't on the side of Moses at all. They were on the side of Moses' detractors, on those who rejected Moses. They were just like the Israelites who rejected Moses. Only now, it's not Moses they're rejecting. It was Jesus that they were rejecting. And they were doing so, making the temple the object of their worship and not the God who once dwelled there. And so now, <laughs> he's delivered the sermon. Do you see, have you followed the sermon? Do you, get what he's, do you get what he's getting at? He's defending himself against blasphemy, and he says, no, no, I haven't committed blasphemy. You are in the wrong here, not me. And look at verse 51. He's about to turn up the heat. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. You're just like the people, he says, who denied, who, who betrayed Moses. You're just like them. You're not on team Moses, is what he says. Look at verse 52. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received, look at verse 53, you received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. <laughs> That's pretty bold. Stephen says, you aren't fighting for God, you're fighting against God. You think you're on team Moses, but you're on the bad guy's side. You're just like your ancestors. The temple has become your golden calf. It had become your object of worship. God had left the building. Do you see it? God had left the building. He had, Jesus had destroyed the temple. And you say, how did Jesus destroy the temple? Because they were standing in the temple. So Jesus said, I will destroy this temple. How did he destroy the temple? Well, physically, the temple still stood. But effectively, the temple served no purpose. See, there was this massive curtain in the temple. It was called the temple veil. 
and it separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. The Holy of Holies was the place where was the place where God dwelled. Past tense. It was the earthly dwelling place of God. The rest of the temple was where the people were, and that's where the sacrifices happened. That curtain was 60 foot tall. I'm not good at estimating. How tall is this building? Anybody know? We got 30 foot. Dan, you're good at that. 30 foot. So imagine if if it was 60 foot tall. Whew. And we don't know exactly how thick it was, but early church historians tell us that it was probably four inches thick. Massive curtain. And that curtain divided the dwelling place of God from everyone else. And then Jesus went to the cross with the promise, I'll destroy the temple. And let me read to you what he says. It's found in Mark chapter 15, verse 37 and 38. As he's on the cross, his life is almost gone. He says in verse 37, the Bible says, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Can you, can you see the scene? Ah. And then he dies. That's Mark 15, verse 37. Mark 15, verse 38 says this, then, just after the death of Christ, then the curtain of the temple, 60 foot tall, four inches thick, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And the Bible says it was torn from top to bottom. (laughs) And that happened when Jesus died. And you say, why? It's an odd thing to happen. Well, number one, it happened from the top to the bottom because God did that. It happened because God had left the building. Jesus is God with us. And when he died, the temple ceased to be the ceased being the epicenter of God's activity and and God's work. It ceased being that place where God dwelled. God is with us. That's what Stephen said. The temple is nothing now. Jesus has destroyed the temple. But secondly, Jesus fulfilled the law. That's why the curtain ripped. He didn't destroy the law. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. He came to destroy the temple. But he said, I came to fulfill the law. The law demonstrated that, that, that it really demonstrated how broken we are. It demonstrated how we can't keep the law. It showed them that when you sin, when you sin, you need a blood sacrifice to go before you. In other words, as we said earlier, sin always equals death. And that's nothing new. That didn't begin at the cross. That didn't even begin with the law of Moses. If you go way, way back, when God first created Adam and Eve, you know the story, he makes Adam and Eve, puts them in the garden, and he says, don't eat from that tree, right? Don't eat from that tree. And what did they do? He said, if you do that, you will surely die. Now listen, when we do things that God tells us not to do, there's a three-letter word for that. It's called sin. Don't eat from that tree or you will surely die. And then what did they do? They ate from the tree. And when they sinned, death entered into the world 
It entered into the world, and death occurred. They were clothed with the hides of animals. Death. And Adam and Eve, their bodies began to die. They didn't die on that day, but spiritually they certainly did. And they would eventually die. And then Moses comes along. And God gives Moses the law and says, when sin occurs, this has to happen. A sacrifice has to happen. A constant reminder that sin brings death. When sin occurs, sacrifice an animal or a bird or a goat or a lamb. And for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God's people sinned. Everyone sins. For thousands of years, when they sinned, they had to come to the sacrifice. They, they had to have a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice to atone for their sin. Because when something, when something, when, when someone sins, something had to die. And then came Jesus. And John the Baptist saw him. And you remember what John the Baptist said? He said, behold. And every time you see the word behold in the Bible, you better behold it. Something big's coming. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Ten commandments, 613 laws in the law of Moses, and Jesus never broke one of them. The only one to ever keep the law perfectly. Sinless perfection. And yet the Bible tells us that Jesus died on the cross. Which begs the question, you say, Brian, wait a minute, hold up. If sin always equals death, and Jesus never sinned, why did Jesus die? Well, he did so to fulfill the law that you and I could never keep. I'm so glad we don't sacrifice animals anymore, aren't you? I like my dog. We don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to sacrifice animals because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished sacrifice. He never sinned. He was never stained from sin. And he went to the cross and he spilled his blood in your place for you. He died that you may have life. And he fulfilled the law just as he said he would. They didn't more than die. They put him in a tomb. They buried him for three days. And the unthinkable happened because he is an uncontainable God. The tomb could not contain him. He came back to life Three days later, the tomb was empty. The Lord had risen. This is the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And if you repent and believe in Jesus, you will be saved. You have three options. We've always had three options when it comes to the gospel. Three ways to respond. You can research. Say, ah, I don't know about this Jesus thing. I've got to learn some more on my own. I'll research this. I'm not ready to decide yet. I'm going to think about it. Or you could receive Christ. And you do that by repenting 
of your sin and believing in the finished work of Jesus. And when you do that, you are heaven-bound for all eternity. Eternity begins the moment you receive Christ. Those are two options. The third option is that you can reject Christ. And the crowd that day that Stephen preached to, well, let's just look at their response. Verse 54. The Bible says, When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. Rejection. There's that pattern again. Rejection. Can you feel their anger? Listen, their anger and their rejection does not make the truth any less true. And neither does ours. Your anger and your rejection will not make the truth that Jesus is Lord any less true. Stephen preached the word and God was glorified. And then look at what happens. Verse 55, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, they yelled, they yelled at the top of their voices and covered their ears and together rushed against him. Rejection. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying that, the Bible says, he fell asleep. He died. And the question is, what will you do with the Lord today? Three options. Reject, research, or receive. What will you do with the Lord today? In Saudi Arabia, they had uh, hikers. A continual problem. Hikers would get lost. Where's Larry Black? Hikers would get lost in the desert there. And you know, if you're lost in the desert, uh, you get a little thirsty. And so they kept finding this problem. How do we help those who go on a hike not get lost? How do we help them find some, some water? So you know what they did? They took solar panels and they installed them next to wells. And they hooked a solar panel up to a light, a gigantic spotlight, so that when the hikers were out in the middle of nowhere, a boiling hot desert, near the end of death, they could see the light. And they knew that when they saw the light, they would go to the light, and there they would find life-giving water. That's what we do as the church. We get to be the light that shines bright in a dark, oh my, dark world. And we get to say, there's hope over here. There's living water here. And his name is Jesus. And if you'll repent of your sin and believe in Christ, 
The Bible says you will be saved. And one day, one day, you'll be in heaven. Maybe you'll see Stephen. How, how will you respond? That's the question. As for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. As for me, I'll preach the gospel until the Lord tells me to stop or takes me home, just like he did with Stephen. As for me, I'll go wherever the Lord calls me to go, for I know that wherever he calls me to go, he's there. He's not bound by a temple. As for me, I'll submit to his lordship because he is Lord, he is God, and I am not. What will you do? I pray you don't reject him. If you want to research him, let me know. And if you want to receive him, you can do that simply by asking him to be your Savior and Lord, repenting of your sin. God, I am sorry I have sinned and trusting in him to be your Savior and Lord. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. That's what Stephen accused the Israelites of. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Respond. We'll end with this. To God be the glory for what he's done and for who he is. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are uncontainable. And I pray, God, that we might not reject you today. Help us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to respond to whatever it is he's calling us to do. Maybe we need to come up and, and be at the altar just to be alone with God. It's, it's open. You can do that. Father, we just want to, we want to glorify you. And we want you to glorify yourself. So we pray you do your work here this morning and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope this uh, sermon has been a blessing to you. If, if there's anything we can do to help you as you kind of navigate through your walk with Jesus, we would love to, to talk with you or email back and forth or whatever. We just want to help you out in, in your walk with Christ. Um, you can contact us by email. Uh, you can email me directly, pastor at fbcmoberly.org. You can visit our website, fbcmoberly.org. We have some resources there for you, a one-year Bible reader packet, uh, some ways that you can uh, just grow close to the Lord, some prayer requests, those kind of things. Uh, we just want to help you. So if, if we can do that in any way, just let us know. Reach out and let us know. God bless you. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your week. Mm-hmm.